Welcome to Part 2 of Brick Moon Fiction's series, Strange Investigations. For the month of October, we'll be presenting a series of stories that focus on the weird, sometimes terrifying, but always strange. Brick Moon Fiction presents Supernova by Sam French, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. First, you look like I do when you are used to people following you around, making sure you're not stealing anything. Usually, though, they're not wearing suits with earpieces cleverly masked, not cleverly enough. From my shit office to the shit bodega down the street to get a sandwich, actually pretty decent, this fucker followed me at fifteen feet or so. You just notice these things. So, halfway down the street, I switch direction fast, charge him before he can even blink, grab him by the wrist and pull. He spits out, you're a lawyer, you won't do shit, so I think I'll break it a little just to prove him wrong. Crack. I go home and eat the sandwich and drink a beer before getting up the next morning to go to the office, thinking no more of it. Until, two weeks later, same dude, wrist now in a cast, winks at me on the subway and then just aggressively walks behind me straight up to the threshold of my office. The next day he walks in, says he wants to hire me to prosecute someone for assault. I laugh and he leaves. He's back again two days later with a buddy, a lowlife dude, Lowlife dude needs some help. Earpiece says he'll pay me for it if I get him off. So I do the case for him to make a quick and needed buck, and three days after it's done, Earpiece comes back to my office and tells me he has the opportunity of my life. Later. The shuttle's leaving with me on it. I wasn't sure I would get on it until I actually stepped on board. My hands are raw from the required washing. Buckled in. Quickly airbound and going up. And then I puke. It splatters onto the shuttle floor. I wipe the shit off my face with a grin, looking left and right to see who saw me, winking at them, sharing a secret. I wipe it on my jeans. I never thought I'd go to space. I never thought I'd be wearing jeans when I went to space. The black matte shutters go transparent as we break through the atmosphere. Earth is exactly how it looks in movies. What's different is you. What's different is the drive in the center and the sense of focus in your now-orbiting stomach. Fuck, I puke once more. A nasty piece of my bodega breakfast from that morning suddenly floats up in the air of the shuttle, no longer bound by gravity. Before anything else. I watched the dude who hit my mom over and over walk because of some other dude who touched the wrong piece of evidence. I watched a judge, but I didn't listen to what he was saying because I could tell he hated me for being me. I ran out of the courthouse and felt free. I felt free to walk back in later. I thought there's got to be a freedom to this all. There's got to be a better way of being free, too. Or living right. Or I don't know. I don't have words for justice. I didn't have words for what was wrong and why it went right. I started to read more. I started to be by myself more. I ran to school at 6 a.m. chasing the sunrise. I ate the free lunch in the library by myself. I said facts out loud while I shot 500 free throws every day after school. I got better. I forgave but didn't forget. I was 12 years old. Between that and first. If my diploma looks wrinkled, it's because I crumpled it and threw it away before thinking better of it, putting it back in the frame. Whatever. Sloppy creases or not, you can still read the crimson H and the other crimson letters that follow. Won't spell it out loud because it just pisses me off referred to as H forevermore, in that same trash can that had just recently held the creased H, 
papers set ablaze with a match used to also light a joint, including a letter of termination and an official notice of disciplinary action. Phrases like talented but wild and no respect for turn to ash as I smoke my jay. The shiny glass that holds the wrinkled diploma reflects the movement of the fire. I'll leave the office soon. Tomorrow I'll start over. Find some shithead felon who's desperate. Again and again, over and over. Out of the ashes. Exploding. Stepping on board Experimental Extra Global Colony X.1 I step on board the first civilian colonized International Space Station. Earpiece greets me on the wobbly landing platform with a smile, trying hard to pretend he likes me. Introduces me to a few men in suits, all of them white. The men, not the suits. We walk down a hall of glass, where minuscule droids fly through the air two feet above my head, carrying loads four times their size, supplies, memos, etc. To my left, Earth. To my right, Expanse. Below, the inner mechanics of one engine in the station. Above, more expanse. Heading forward, I'm amazed at the artificiality of this particular walk and talk, the literal universe, the backdrop to my being debriefed about something in under 22 seconds that would take a lifetime to understand. After all, this is going to take a lifetime to understand. Near the next portal, there is the first wall-like surface. On it, a surprisingly amateur painted portrait of John Glenn in an ornate crystal frame. My first case won't come for a few days, Earpiece tells me. Until then, I should walk around, talk to the citizens, figure out what it is about them that made them choose, or be chosen, to be a part of the first outer space colonization project, figure out what will make them tick or bend or break. What is it about these people, these citizens technically, that makes them at home here, and how will I shape or help shape that into law, into order? How will I connect the dots and the stars to create new constellations, earpiece waxes poetically. I meet one woman on a wreck deck smoking something foul-smelling and tarry. She doesn't say much to me, but her dialect is unrecognizable, and I see diamonds in each excessive piece of jewelry she wears. Wealthy and fearless, maybe. Or is it just wealthy and bored? Star One Engineers and stay-at-home moms and doctors and farmers and novelists and carpenters and a new frontier. Chaos. Before anything else, again. A lawyer in a cheap suit, even I can tell at twelve, sits down to talk to me about why the man walked. He has tears in his eyes and his left hand is gripping the arm of his chair too hard, leather squeaks escaping in bursts. Sometimes there are rules that are intended to help people that accidentally end up not helping the people they're supposed to. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen sometimes. Why does it happen at all? It's complicated. You'll understand when you're older. But we tried really hard. Your mom was a good woman. Once when I was older, and I still didn't understand. One of my first cases at the firm. The defendant gets off because of a loophole. The judge grimaces and then retreats. I go to a bar and end up punching a wall. Once. I punched a professor in the throat for calling me a name I said I'd never let anyone call me. He said he did it to prove I was too mad, too wild, too raw. I said he did it because he's an asshole. My hand is sore but I can still hear him coughing up blood in his office. I study for his midterm later that day. I ace it later that week. 
he grated it in a neck brace. Earpiece in my shit office. Are you with the government? He doesn't answer. He just lightly moves his wrist. Can you take that out? I gesture to the earpiece. He does so. He nods, with the government. I ask him which department. He says it's complicated. I ask him why me. He says it's complicated. But he's holding his broken wrist up in the air like a piece of evidence that he wants the jury to see. I feel like I'm on trial myself, but I'm in my own office and he has another wrist I could break if I started to feel threatened. He tells me about a trash can on fire, its glow alighting the face of a scared but brilliant young lawyer. He tells me about the fire identified in that lawyer. He tells me I've been watched and that people see the fire. He's one. He tells me there is important work for people like me. There's important work for people like you. My fist is clenched. I've heard this shit before. They want me to go to Somalia where no one else will go. Or they want me to represent some shithead congressman with a case no one will touch. Or they want me to get a deal done that's too gross for them to be near something. And then he surprises me. Stepping into my office on board Experimental Extra Global Colony X.1. The office is made to feel like home. So, for my desk, a shitty hunk of wood with creaky drawers. A green leather chair in exact imitation of the one I had before. Everything seems exactly as it would, except it's all bolted to the floor. Except the window, when the shade is finally raised, gives me a much more satisfying view. I'm sharing a space with one of the Russian lawyers they brought on. Her background is human rights, but when she looks me dead in the eye to tell me so, it seems like there's a slowly revolving sense of irony deep within her. She throws up more often than I do, but she just looks like a tiger with a prey's blood flowing from her mouth, down her neck, onto her collarbone below. Earpiece warned me about her, said he put me near her because she's one of the ones who I'd have to look out for. We drink vodka, though, and I find out she's got an earpiece of her own, some Boris or something cliché, who found her living in Siberia, in the middle of nowhere, having long since given up. I ask her what she thinks we're doing here. In her opinion, what the fuck are we doing here? When it was time for the farmers to first come to space, they brought the best farmer and he tried to grow sweet potatoes, but they came out rotten because the man believed too much in the soil of earth. When it was time for doctors to first come to space, they brought the best doctor, and he repaired a crushed rib cage, but it grew back warped because the man believed too much in the medicine of Earth. I find I do not believe much in the justice of Earth. I feel you do not as well. This is good. The first lawyers did believe deeply in the justice of Earth. It did not go so well for them here, either. She pukes. Her tiger eyes stare up at me from the trash can first case. Earpiece delivers a memo to my desk with a set of intersecting points on four axes and a time to be at them. I arrive and it's a small conference pod. Earpiece is sitting there, no earpiece in, with a quiet and homely woman. Her hands are bound by a laser-based device, red ribbons of light pulsating dangerously in a complicated triple helix, holding her hands cautiously still within. A file folder sits on the table, and before I say anything, Earpiece opens it. It's just a few security stills of one of the agri-tents, some sort of lettuce being harvested. In the last one, the soil and lettuce are on fire, with the same homely woman watching from the corner as it burns. Earpiece closes the folder and says, concisely, 
Our client, Mrs. Bennington, is being tried for arson, anti-science-influenced sabotage, and murder. I blink twice. A strange set of accusations. Tell me more. A previously undiscovered orange mold had begun growing on the underside of Mrs. Bennington's cabbage. While it had not technically received alien classification, it was considered a living organism that had no equivalency on Earth. It was fucking up my cabbage, Mrs. Bennington objects. Earpiece goes on. The matter here is one of life, and how life is classified now, and who has the right to it, and who has the right to end it. Start thinking on it. Earpiece ends the session. Once Mrs. Bennington has left, Earpiece puts the earpiece back in and makes it aggressively clear to me that the U.S. government is considering this a top-priority case and that Mrs. Bennington must not be convicted of murder. I leave, confused. Later that day, I tell Tiger a bit about the case, withholding Earpiece's final dramatic assessment. It seems cut and dry, I say. I go on. The basic issue is that of arson. If that had been her cabbage farm, say, in Idaho or wherever fucking cabbage grows, I've never once wondered where cabbage grows, then she'd be fine. It's her property. It's her cabbage. If she wants to blow it up and start from the ashes, that's fine. But here we have to decide who that cabbage belongs to. She doesn't own the space. She's here on a work grant. Does the cabbage belong to her because she grew it, or does it belong to everyone on the station? because we're all working together for something. I admit it's pretty boring, though I can see the importance the precedent will set on ownership rights. Tiger stares at me, confused. She tells me I'm a fucking idiot. She asks me, how many space-exclusive living organisms have ever been intentionally killed by a human before now? No one cares about the fucking cabbage, she growls hungrily. It's not much of a library, but... The reference pod is where I go later that day. A group of individual tablets, 30, 40, hover inches beyond my fingertips in a slow orbit around a large center console, glowing like the sun. It seems more aesthetic than functional. I've never felt the need for my reference materials to resemble the galaxy, but as I sit down with one tablet to do some research, I'm struck by how calming it is. There's not much fact, not much history out here yet, so whatever there is must inherently feel borderline supernova. After some time, I find what I'm looking for. A large spreadsheet of space-exclusive organic materials. Nothing classified alien yet. But some funguses like Mrs. Bennington's. A few discovered in agritents and then reported and taken to laboratories. A few molds grown in petri dishes in those same laboratories. One sort of bacterial rash found on a maintenance astronaut last year that eventually spread to his throat and killed him. The bacterial strain is on lockdown in a lab shared by U.S., China, and Canada. And Mrs. Bennington's cabbage. With every other case, there is a box indicating where it is being studied, where it remains, where it is living and thriving. Only Mrs. Bennington's cabbage mold has a red X in that box, indicating it no longer remains that it has been eradicated completely, made extinct. I'm starting to get a stomachache as I realize what's going on. Sometime after the trash can stopped burning, its ashes lost to the wind. I met up with an old buddy from H. He's a partner now at Douchebag and Dickface or whatever. But he's got a gold watch and a relatively clean conscience. 
He says he's only doing important work one every ten cases, and even then he admits it only goes the way it should, by all rights how he feels it should, once in a hundred times. But the satisfaction he gets then, he says, smiling, nodding, his eyes actually alit. Worth it. I have a few questions for you. There's interest in bringing you on. He starts with a few technical, and then, do you regret? I walk away from the meeting back to my shit office. For the first time, I notice I'm being followed by a man with an earpiece. My line of thinking that night. One, if Mrs. Bennington is convicted of murder, it sets a precedent for the destruction, or killing, I guess, of space-discovered-slash-created organisms as murder. Two, alien life, when ultimately discovered, will be a subset of space-discovered-slash-created organisms. Three, with that precedent, the destruction of alien life would be murder. Four, if Mrs. Bennington is not convicted of murder, it sets a precedent for the legal destruction of space-discovered-slash-created organisms. Five, it justifies, legally, the destruction of alien life. Six, your piece is a son of a bitch who wants me to legalize potential genocide. My dreams that night. An undiscovered planet, some 400 years in the future, discovered by one of our ships. The planet is now burning. On its surface, another civilization, burning. Something we didn't understand. Not good or bad, just incomprehensible to us. It's people unknowable. And so, a target. And so, it burns. On the ship, an ancestor of mine watches the planet burn. They feel shame. They know my name. They know my skeleton floats in orbit light years away, an evil comet. They know my name, their name, will forever be linked to the burning planet we didn't understand. The next morning, I walk in and break Earpiece's other wrist. He curses at me, loud. I take the folder off the table and leave. As I exit, this is why you brought me here. Tiger and I drink some vodka back in the office. I expect to be told I'm going home any minute now. Instead, I get a memo. You're right. When he walked back into my office to tell me he had the opportunity of my life. Suddenly he looks at me with compassion, with understanding. As he speaks, he rotates his broken wrist, a little to the left, a little to the right, within his capabilities, his earpiece dangling in his hand. You always had a bright future. You were brilliant and creative and courageous, but you were also radical, impatient, frustrating, and uncontrollable. You wanted to do this to fix things, but you didn't want to work piece by piece. You wanted to tear the thing down. You wanted to punch and crush and spit and burn. But that's not how it works in New York City. That's not how it works in America. Frankly, it's not how it works on Earth. I stare at the stars frequently. I used to say, I'll never see you any closer. Lately, I say, I'm coming for you. There's a world being built from nothing up there. We want you to help us build it. Sam French is a writer and director located in Brooklyn. Originally from Florida, he is a recent graduate of Carnegie Mellon University. 
His plays have been produced in Pittsburgh, Florida, Martha's Vineyard, and New York. His short story, A Love Letter to the Boys of Summer, won the Adamson Award for Fiction at CMU. Sam was named a Top 20 Artist Under 25 in the Tampa area by Creative Loafing Magazine and has two one-acts published by Baker's Plays. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.